Hello and welcome to another episode of Sensational She Geek Live from Yancey Street. Today is actually Tuesday, August 24th, 2021, and this is the delayed episode 31A. I apologize for this delay. I had all of the podcasts ready to record yesterday on Monday as I normally would. However, we had more rumors about there being a Spider-Man No Way Home trailer. And while there have been a lot of rumors about that over the past couple of months, this time it actually seemed like there may be some credibility to them. And lo and behold, it turned out we did get a Spider-Man No Way Home trailer yesterday. So we will be covering that in depth, in perpetuity. I don't think that actually fits there. We will be covering that in totality. Um, everything that there is to cover about it, what the plot of the movie looks like, what it looks like they're going to be pulling from the comics, what characters it looks like we're going to have, what kind of multi stuff, multiverse stuff we're going to have. We're going to cover all of that. Um, that's going to be a big chunk of the episode, uh, but that will become last. It'll come after the comic book pull list for this week, as well as a couple of late picks that I didn't have a chance to read, but I really want to mention because they were fantastic. Um, and I really, really do uh, wish to get more support for these creators so they continue making comics. Um, in any case, as this is a normal 31A episode, we're going to start things off with the regular comic book pull list for which we have some really fun stuff coming out this week. Um, as usual, before we start that, you can find me online. My Instagram is Anna with the comics because my name is Anna and I have the comics. You can also find me on Twitter at Savage She Geek. It's where I post any kind of updates for the podcast. Otherwise, it's really just general Twitter stuff. Um, I do have a website that is where I posted pretty much everything that I post now on the podcast, but in written format. That is sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. Uh, and there you can find all of my old writing, a fair amount of reading orders for favorite female characters in comics, including completed orders and commentary for the entire character appearances of Madeline Pryor slash the Goblin Queen, and of Clea, who is known for him general Doctor Strange comics and who will probably be popping up in Multiverse of Madness. Also on my website you can find the pod notes which are the written version of the podcast more or less. Things that I write down through the week to make sure that I don't get too far off track or don't forget anything that I really wanted to discuss while recording the podcast. That's there for anyone to access who would rather read than listen to what I talk about on the podcast as well as for anyone who is hard of hearing hearing or hearing impaired, that they can um, keep up with the podcast by reading it there instead of having to listen. You can also find links on my website to absolutely everywhere that you can listen to this podcast, which is pretty much everywhere but Pandora and like one other site. But that does include YouTube where I have all of the podcast uh, videos just put up just the standard what Podbean gives me for the 
um, the MP4, just very basic sort of thing. Uh, but it's all in a playlist and all in order in case you would like to go through them on YouTube. Uh, also on my YouTube are figure review videos for action figures, adult collectibles, whatever you're comfortable calling them. Uh, I have a good number of action figure review videos and unboxings on there. The Beerus video is up! I was so excited that my husband brought Beerus home on Friday night and I actually recorded the video that night and posted it Saturday uh, or actually that was Thursday, wasn't it? I posted it Friday afternoon after he brought it home Thursday night. Um, so that is really exciting if you are at all curious about the difference between the uh, higher end Beerus and the kind that you would find in like a Walmart or a GameStop. That would be where you, uh, well, that's, what, that's what I cover in the video because I do have both versions, the $20 and the 50 and up version. So um, you can go there to see that, see if it's worth getting one or the other, whatever you may think based on my review. I also have, if you want to support the podcast or donate to the podcast, I have a podcast Patreon. Uh, if you would go on patreon.com, it is just under Sensational She Geek. There will be some rewards for people who um, sign up for the Patreon program for 2021 and then for 2022. I'm, I'm putting together some stickers and things. And potentially in the future, if it does get enough support, I will also do... Um, special edition podcasts that will be exclusive to the Patreon or perhaps air earlier on the Patreon involving, you know, maybe down the line when the MCU stuff starts getting a little bit more picked up, uh, could make that a Patreon exclusive before releasing it uh, like a week or two later down the line, things like that, or about, um, you know, comics, that, reading lists and comics and things like that, things that I've kind of been thinking about doing um, will probably end up going out as rewards on the Patreon. There's also a Redbubble store, which is some fun little branding things that I made, and that is under She Geek Shop. Um, the last thing that I wanted to mention about this is that I'm aware of the coffee. I'm not, I think it's K-O-F- I potentially. It's something that I've seen a lot of people in the comics industry have as another option if you would like to support them. Um, it's something where you can basically go in and the idea is you buy them a coffee. Um, it's not a, it's not a subscription. It's a, you know, oh, I like this thing that I read by you and I feel like I'm gonna, you know, do the, give you, give you a buck or two. Um, and that is something that I'm also going to be setting up this week if that is easier for people than purchasing a product or having to uh, sign up for any kind of subscription thing. I'm also going to add that because like I say uh, many times before, the less work that I have, less time that I have to spend working a traditional job to fund life, <laughs> uh, the more time I get to spend on making this podcast an excellent podcast for being listened to. And that will hopefully include as I do get more listeners and more time to work on it down the line, we'll be including sound effects, intro music, you know, stuff like that um, is all long-term goals. So um, those are all options to support the podcast or donate. Before we start off here, there are a couple of things that I wanted to mention um, that were not really big news stories, but were uh, somewhat relevant or I had talked about them before and they have updates. So starting that off, um, if you have been keeping up with the Jeopardy host saga, um, 
potentially LeVar Burton is back in the running. Uh, he had not been chosen by whatever committee it is that does that. Instead, it was some guy who was on the board of something or other, and nobody gives a shit about this dude. We want to see LeVar Burton on... You know how many more people would watch Jeopardy if LeVar Burton was hosting? A lot. I would probably be one of them too. Because come on, he he was reading Rainbow. He was that guy. He was on Star Trek. Um, kids, kids, people my age, when we were young, um, people, gosh, probably within a decade older than me, if not more, and even probably a decade younger, they know LeVar Burton. We, he is, he is a nice, warm feeling in our hearts. So the, it's, it's only gonna be good for them to let LeVar Burton host Jeopardy. But that's all the update we have on that is suppose he, he could be back in the running because the guy who had been, uh, decided to be the host has stepped down. He probably got some hate mail, um, which is kind of funny and sad, but, um, anyway, <laughs> We'll leave that there. Another thing that came out, I believe it was just yesterday, so that's very exciting. It's out there fresh on the internet if you have not seen it. The first look pictures of Netflix's Cowboy Bebop have arrived on the internet. It looks it looks pretty good. Uh, the show also has an official premiere date now that will be November 19th. Um, so mark your calendars for that. I'm just going to check really quick to see... November 19th is a Friday, assuming that this is going to be a traditional Netflix drop it all at the same time kind of show. Uh, keep your weekend clear. Also, is that Thanksgiving weekend? I did not think about that. Let me see. Thanksgiving is... No, I think Thanksgiving is the next weekend. It's the 25th, probably. Not the 18th. Um, but in any case, uh, keep that weekend clear for watching Cowboy Bebop because between John Cho and his fellow cast members, they have nailed the look. Um, for, for actors whose faces I don't think necessarily look much like the characters in the anime because for a lot of reasons you can't really make them look like that because it's the style of anime is just not realistic on people um but for for what i felt was actors who don't look too much like the um animated versions they have made them look like the animated versions um and i'm very excited to i, I should rewatch cowboy bebop um, i think my husband was doing that himself so maybe i will join him um so we can have that fresh in our minds when we watch this live action show which all signs point to it not sucking so continue crossing your fingers for that <laughs> And finally, before we, we get going here, um, I know I've been mentioning Superman and Lois. It did have its finale like a week or two ago, um, and I was going to try watching it over the weekend. We did try watching it over the weekend. Um, it sucks. I'm sorry. You're telling me Val Zod is this ugly fat guy and Superman's mom had an affair with him? he's short and fat he's literally we're like obscenely short and large um how is he the big bad kryptonian I, <laughs> it just sucks i'm sorry i can't i just cannot get over those few points the actors are doing a phenomenal job 
for what they were given, but I genuinely, maybe it was something that happened in the finale and I just couldn't make it that far, but I genuinely don't see what the praise it was getting <laughs> was for because the actors were doing great, sure, fine, whatever, but the script they were given was just god-awful. <laughs> um, I, I don't like sitting in my chair watching something and thinking about better, better ways that it could have gone. Um, from my perspective as a fan, so that's not usually a good sign. But anyway, let's go ahead and get going. As usual, if you would like to jump over the comics discussion, which this week includes the late picks as well as the comic book pull list, you are going to want to jump to about 51 minutes and 45 seconds, and you'll be right about there moving on to Spider-Man No Way Home. The three comics that I wanted to discuss before I go ahead and get started on the actual pull list were Cinnamon number one, Maneaters, The Curse number two, and the free comic book today, Avatar issue. Um, there was actually two stories in that one. One was a Legend of Korra story and one was a The Last Airbender story. So Cinnamon number one of three, we're going to talk about Cinnamon number two in a little bit here because uh, apparently number two is coming out this week. However, number one was delayed by about a week. So that's why I am reading it later and talking about it later. It is written and drawn by Victoria Douglas. It is a little bit longer than I would expect. Um, no ads uh, during the comic portion of the pages. Um, it's entirely in like this pinky, this like pinky creamy pink color um, and white, just the page white. Um, it's, it's not even like a bleached white page. It's kind of an off white grayish white. So, um, very simplistic, but goddamn delightful. Um, I know I had talked very excitedly about it before it came out because it was a genius idea. I still stand by that. It is a genius idea. It's basically this cat. It's the story of this cat, Cinnamon, right? Six-month-old little kitten, as we discovered in the first issue. Um, and it's their existence from their owner's perspective versus their perspective. Um, some of the things that happened in this issue, in their head, they are this rugged biker badass, the cat Cinnamon, right? And their owner is the mayor of the city and they put a ban on drugs and cat and cinnamon, they just want their catnip. So they go and they, they go for a fight across the rooftops of the city, which is just jumping across the counters. Um, and when the mayor grabs them and they're taking him into custody, he slashes him with his knives, his, his claws. And the owner, you know, drops cinnamon and goes, Ow, you really got me that time. You know, standard when your cat surprises you with getting scratched in the face and you get really upset because you trust the cat and you're just like, you know, it's the thing that happens. True animal ownership, right? So it was really just, and then of course, you know, Cinnamon looks back and sees that the owner's upset and like settles down from being the big angry biker and <laughs> it's really, really cute. Um, so the second issue we'll talk about in a little bit, but I just wanted to give uh, plenty of, I guess, well, let's do the second issue now. Was, uh, um, plenty of kudos to Victoria Douglas. This is only going to be a three issue series as I discovered today, which is very disappointing. However, I am probably going to buy two of each issue if I can, because this is, this is phenomenal. This is pretty great. I love this. Um, as I said before, Cinnamon is a six-month-old kitten. The last issue focused a lot on her obsession with catnip and the love-hate-love -love relationship with the owner slash mayor. 
um, the one line of the solicitation that I have for issue two, hopefully will be out this week. It says, peace in Big Kitchen City is short-lived when the mayor comes home with a new cat toy that threatens everything Cinnamon holds deal. Dear, how is a cat even supposed to make sense of a laser pointer? Can a hyperactive kitten like Cinnamon even satisfy even satisfy her predatory response when she is chasing something impossible to catch. I mean, it's obviously going to be hella fun. Uh, but do, people, do people still say hella? I said it. I don't really regret it. So I guess people say it now. Um, Cinnamon, Victoria Douglas, please pick this up. Oh my God. Oh my God. Um, another of the late picks... As I mentioned before, Maneaters the Cursed. Um, grabbing the issue real quick from behind me. Um, this is great. It's by the same team who did the original Maneater series, as well as Spy Island, which was only four issues compared to the OG Maneaters 12. Holy shit, guys. If you didn't read Spy Island, I cannot stress to you how much you are missing out. Oh my god, it was probably I mean, easily one of my top three series of 20, 2020. Yeah, I get confused about time. You know it's been a long year, what can I say? What can any of us say? Um, the amazing thing about this creative team, this is the same creative team as the original Man Eaters in Spy Island, same exact line of names here at the bottom. Chelsea Kane, Leah Mitternick. I'm sorry, I'm also terrible with names. I will mispronounce them. Not on purpose. I try, but I don't do good. Chelsea Kane, Leah Mitternick, Kate Niemzik, Rachel Rosenberg, and Joe Karamanga. Um, I am very, very, very enraged to report that Chelsea Kane is probably not going to be making comics again because of the experience specifically negative experience that she and her team have had in making this. Um, uh, if you're aware of the thing that is called or referred to as Comicsgate, those are the people who have been giving her a real hard time. Um, and Maneaters of the Curse was her fuck you to them. Uh, yes, I will make another comic, even though you don't want me to. So, I have bought two issues of the first and the second, co uh, two copies of the first and the second issues, I suppose. Um, because I, I, I need you guys to support this. This is, like, uh, it's, it's, per it's, it's the, the, it is the kind of comics that I want to be in the world. Um... And it's really hard to describe why. If you go to my website, you will find four very long-winded explanations and dissections of the Spy Island issues, which um, I think do a pretty good job of explaining what made them so fantastic to read and to experience. Um, and that is probably the best I can do for getting you to understand why this shit's so good. Um, this issue actually... Uh, revealed some really funny things. Now, one thing you have to know when you're picturing this, there are no ads. None at all. Um, looking from the front cover to the back cover. There is an ad on the back cover. It is not a real ad. It is for Lips Itch Be Gone. 
Kiss sand fleas goodbye. Tastes great. Kills on contact. The only lip pesticide with moisturizer. This product is 97% effective against crustaceans. You understand this is fake, right? It's a fake ad. They've got flavors like cotton candy, sweet and sour, blood root, uh, cranberry spice, ketchup, mimosa, uh, creamsicle, popcorn, melon, key lime, spearmint, hemlock, ice, belladonna, and nightshade. An island punch. I don't think I said that one before. Um, this shit's awesome. It's the fake, so there's a fake ad for a fake product on the back of the comic. Um, and then you have somewhere in the middle, you have a map of the camp, which is a double spread, which is like a hand-drawn <laughs> uh, map that looks like it's been scanned into the comic page. Uh, because it's basically just a photo of someone's drawing. It's not a digital thing. Um, really hilarious details in the map. Uh, the story is goddamn hilarious. You get the uh, craft camp application, which is very simple. You get uh, name, you know, pronouns, age, address, contact number, emergency contact, shirt size... And then you see the, the boys' football camp application has all that stuff, plus um, health insurance company, policyholder, primary care physician, neurologist, orthopedic surgeon, uh, and a waiver to basically you can't sue them if your kid dies. <laughs> um, and then the story is hilarious, and in this issue we find out that the craft camp, the main character, Maud, has been going to since she was a kid is not arts and crafts. It is witchcraft. There are a lot of reasons why I adore the fuck out of that. Um, but I won't get into them now. I mean, I feel like they're pretty obvious reasons. That shit's awesome. How is that not an awesome plot twist? <laughs> oh God. I love this. Um, and then, you know, to make things more hilarious, <laughs> everybody at the camp has disappeared overnight in a storm, and she follows these little fairy signs, and she comes across the, uh, the young, the younger generation of campers who were there, who have been shrunk to, like, two or three inches tall by the fairies to keep them safe. I don't even know what's gonna happen in this shit, but it's hilarious and I, I adore it. And and please buy it so that Chelsea Kane uh, will continue ranting angrily at comic skaters on Twitter and also making comics. Also grabbing here really quick my copy of The Legend of Korra. It's 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 called uh, The Free Comic Book Day, The Legend of Korra. It says also featuring Avatar The Last Airbender. So the first story is uh, a story of... It's a chorus story um, about Tenzin, actually, where he is telling his kids about a... Uh, like a, It's like a lesson, a fable kind of lesson that he tells them about um, something he had experienced, a peaceful end to an argument when he was very young. The story was really sweet. It obviously includes all of the characters from Legend of Korra... Um, Tenzin's kids, including his daughter who has the airbender master uh, tattoo now with her hair grown over it, which is really nice. I love that arc for her character on the show. Um, really cool coming of age into maturity sort of thing. And it also featured the characters of Chief Beifong and Avatar Aang, who is of course Tenzin's father. When Tenzin was a child, we get to see uh, Aang and Chief Beifong interacting. So that's really fun. And the uh, the last Airbender story was really really cute. Um, it's obviously everybody from the last 
Airbender is pretty much deceased at this point of the Legend of Korra point things, right? Um, with a few exceptions. So this story is about Uncle Iroh, which I know he is a crowd favorite character for a lot of reasons. Um, and here in this story, he is running a matcha tea house and he kind of befriends this fancy lady um, who comes in and who drinks his tea and flirts with him. Um, and then he gets a little bit shy and tries to kind of like avoid going back out and talking to her again. Uh, and so he has his little spirit friends, right? Who he makes the tea for his little spirit buddies. Uh, so cute. <laughs> Definitely something that was from the show. Um, and so then when he does not go back out to talk to the fancy lady the next day, they start basically making little semi-dangerous threats until he finally does what they want and asks her out and she's very happy to agree to go out with him. So two cute little stories. The creative teams on these... For the Legend of Korra story, it is by Kiku Hughes and Sam Beck. And for the Avatar The Last Airbender story, it is by Nadia Shamas, Sarah Alfaji, and Sarah Alfaji. Okay, cool. So they both uh, they both did the story, uh, Shamas did the script, and then Alfaji did the art. So very cool thing there. You also get to support what sounds like um, women of color creators as well. So very cool stuff here. Lastly, I want to mention before getting into the poll list is um, Trial of Magneto obviously was something that came out last week and has been very much talked about all over the internet. I kind of accidentally started an argument between these two people um, on social media. <laughs> I, I posted something and agreed with the guy who commented on it. And then this two guys went back and forth between each other for a while. Uh, whoops. But, um, based on all of all the stuff that I've been reading online, my own personal thoughts of what's going on, discussions between myself and my husband and everybody who I know who reads this kind of stuff, um, Basically, what it comes down to is there's no way that this was Magneto who killed Wanda. There is the argument that, yes, of course, Magneto would have been somebody who knew that Wanda had a backup in Cerebro and possibly, you know, would feel like if he killed her, they would bring her back and she would be, you know, appropriately Wanda the way that they always thought, you know, mutants and stuff again. Um, but that leaves out his son, and I feel like he would want his son to be involved in the same thing as well. Quicksilver, his not-son, I guess. Um, in addition, that puts him and Krakoa at positions of great risk. Um, and Magneto, at this point, we have seen is 100% all in on Krakoa, and I don't think that there is anything that he would do to put Krakoa at risk, especially their resurrection protocols, which have made them the strongest um, group, species, I don't know, uh, the strongest club, <laughs> the mutants, the mutants are stronger than anything else in the universe is what I'm trying to say here. Um, I don't think there's anything Magneto would do to, to threaten that and killing somebody to try and bring them back would definitely threaten that. And I don't think he's that stupid to know that. Um, there's also much easier ways of having gone about doing that um, the trials or whatever it's called, the crucible. Um, that's the one. Uh, so I mean, it wasn't Magneto. We pretty much, unless, unless it was somebody like Mystique, um, 
disguised as Magneto or Magneto under some kind of influence of somebody else's mind control. Those would be the only ways that I could see that possibly being having been Magneto who actually killed her. Um, and with all of that in mind, it really makes me think even more now, as I've mentioned several times before, that the title of this, Trial of Magneto, is going to very much more end up like... Um, it's going to end up a lot more meaning that it's Magneto's trial that he is putting on. Or, in the same sense, the trial of Magneto's patience and emotions, and not actually the trial of a jury and a judge and all that. Um, so that's still kind of two ways of taking the title that I definitely think by the end of this five issues, we're, we're going to have a very different concept of what Trial of Magneto refers to than we did when we first heard that this was going to be a thing. So uh, just keeping all of that in mind. Starting off for the comic book pull list this week, these are things that are for DC Comics out today, Tuesday the 24th, and for the rest of comics out Wednesday the 25th. Uh, starting off, Marvel's Voices Identity Number 1 is Marvel's uh, Asian Superhero and Creator Showcase. The solicitation mentions by name Shang-Chi, Ms. Marvel, Jubilee, Silk, and Jimmy Woo. Hopefully there will be more than that because Lord knows there are more Asian characters. They just aren't really discussed very much. Um... It says, also, be prepared for some big and special surprises that can only be told in the Mighty Marvel Banner. Oh, alliteration. Um, whatever that's going to mean, um, who knows. But this is going to have creators of Greg Pak, Jean Luen Yang, Marie Ngu, J.M. Ken Minura, oh, sorry, Nomura, and Christina Strain. They will be writing. And then artists will include Marcus Toe, Wilche Portacio, Lin Yoshi, Jason Liu, and Mashal Ahmed, among others, apparently. Um, and then we have some really awesome variant covers. I really pref I prefer the Peach Romoko one, but there's some really neat ones. Um, there's the uh, AAPI cover by In Yuk Lee. Um, and then there is Sebastian Chang, Jim Chung, Philip Tan, Rian Gonzalez, and Miguel Mercado. I'm actually quite surprised they did not get um, art germ Stanley Lau to do a cover because he is Asian himself. So... Um, you know, now that I, now that we really get into talking about that, there are a lot of Asian artists who are not involved in this. Um, and I wonder why that is. Um, we'll, we'll have to see what, I don't know. I don't know. But I will be picking this up in any case to support the Asian creators who are involved. Extreme Carnage Riot Number 1 is part 5 of 8 in the Extreme Carnage story. The last part that we had was... One of the other Life Foundation symbiotes, whichever guy that was at that point, honestly don't remember. Um, but the relevant point about that, and I assume the reason why there has been a, such a big gap between part four and part five, is not just because it was a halfway point, but because uh, Silk <laughs> Scream is back. However, she has been combined, what was left of her symbiote has been combined with the um, anti-venom symbiote, and she has ended up being a new symbiote, technically, um, who is going by the silence. So, 
Um, we can assume that this is going to be the first time we see the silence kind of in action outside of that first appearance slash creation, um, potentially fighting Riot. Um, all of the issues have somewhat tied together a little bit. Um, Andy Benton was kind of a character who, she was in the Scream one, she was in the one after that, and then of course she was in this last one, number part four, um, which was when Scream became a silence, and she is still bonded to, uh, the silence now, I suppose, as their host. Um, so this issue is going to be done by Alyssa Wong and Fran Galen. So Alyssa Wong is the only woman on this project, so I'm hoping that this issue completely kills it. Um, I'll be getting. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be getting it either way because I want to keep up with the story. Um, and this is. I just like to mention because it's kind of funny. This is the third Carnage event that's kind of gone like this. You had back in the day Maximum Carnage. And then Absolute Carnage was Donny Cates' project, I guess, a couple of years ago. And now Extreme Carnage, which is, um, we'll kind of see how this ends things up because Carnage was kind of gone. Cletus Cassidy, all of that was kind of gone to the wind. Um, and we'll see where this one ends things up because we are at a turning point with the Venom series. Donny Cates leaving that and Al Ewing starting up his own, uh, numbering back with number one. So this might end up being something that by the end of it, it's going to be relevant to the Marvel universe as a whole. So I will be keeping up with this no matter what amount of the silence kind of continues to be involved. Spider-Man Life Story Annual Number One. This is a one-shot coming from Chip Zarsky and Mark Bagley, who are the team who originally came up with Spider-Man Life Story and put it out in print for Marvel. Um, Spider-Man Life Story, just like Fantastic Four Life Story, which is going right now, um, was a real-time Spider-Man story through the decades. So 1960s or whatever, he's, you know, a kid in high school, becomes Spider-Man. 1970s, it's actually been 10 years later. 1980s, it's another 10 years. He's now out of college, etc., etc. You Down the line, you get the point. Um, so this annual, I was kind of wondering how they were going to pull that off an annual for a story like that that we've already kind of seen come to completion. This annual is actually going to be centering around J. Jonah Jameson and his apparent obsession with Spider-Man. We all know J. Jonah Jameson, Jameson, uh, the editor for the Daily Bugle newspaper, is... Oh, he is notorious for kind of having a love-hate relationship with Spider-Man. Um, you know, the whole, he's, he's a menace! Kill Spider- take, take down Spider-Man! All that stuff, you know, classic J. Jonah Jameson. Um, and at the same time, kind of relying on the hype of Spider-Man to keep selling his papers. So um, this will apparently bring him to very hard times where he will make some very tough decisions that are not entirely morally correct. Um, so I have no doubt Zarsky is going to blow our minds with this and Mark Bagley on art. It's going to be a great, it's going to be a great annual. We already talked about Cinnamon, so let's move on to Horizon Zero Dawn Liberation number two. I do have a correction on the creative team. As I said in the last podcast where I mentioned the series, this is only by Anne Toole. I had mentioned another name um, that I thought was writing it as well. That was a miscredit. This is written by Anne Toole with art by Elmer DeMasso. 
Um, and the, the variant for this one, or the, sorry, the cover for this one is going to be by Justine Franny. If you're familiar with her style, it's very airy and flowy. So it looks very good. Um, and the series is continuing again with Aloy and her, um, her little dude friend going and trying to bring justice to, you know, the world and stuff. I'm tired. Are you guys tired? <laughs> I had a, it's, it's been a long day. Our we had we had a former roommate who basically broke in here a couple hours ago, and I thought it was an intruder. So it's been a long day. <laughs> Moving on, uh, barbaric number three. Um, this is the end of the first arc according to the solicitation. However, there are no further issues solicited, and solicitations are pretty much out to November at this point. Um, at least for the big two, and indie comics usually aren't too far behind that. Um, hopefully, this means that we will be getting more barbaric late 2021 or early 2022. Shit, can you believe it's already almost 2022? Phooey, man. Um, where was I? <laughs> Uh, Barbaric is by Michael Morici and Nathan Gooden. It is not safe for work, not safe for children's eyes or minds. Um, really awesome though. Totally dig it. Uh, witches and barbarians and axes that get drunk off of blood. And oh my God, it's just so cool. Um, knew I loved it first couple of pages of the first issue so really hoping we don't have to wait too much longer for a fourth issue slash second arc of barbaric batman reptilian number three continues by garth ennis and liam sharp this one i believe is only of six i think it's only of six um really really impressive with the visuals um Liam Sharp draws, or rather paints, a Gotham that is everything we as readers have ever read it to be described as. Um, spooky, uh, morbid, moist and damp, dripping, uh, lecherous, dangerous, dark, gloomy. Um, and the list goes on. They could just talk all day about what Gotham is like. Uh, they've literally made a show about it. <laughs> kind of. Um, but, but Liam Sharp, he is probably, God, he's probably one of the top five. Cause there's been a lot of really good artists who have done Batman. So he's, he's, he's easily top five, um, depictions of the bat in Gotham, uh, because he does draw it. He does paint him so, um, uniquely, um, in a way that, really really just perpetrates this the mystery of this whole story um there is a very short solicitation um i have a line or two from it here it says batman finds himself vexed by one very important question just what on earth is it and by it they mean the creature that's killing all the villains in gotham it says now the dark knight's search for clues has him tracking the joker but wouldn't it be funny if the mysterious creature stalking gotham got the crown prince of crime first so joker's gonna die in this issue probably no matter what happens um the creature whatever it is has been slaughtering the villains of gotham um, in the last issue, we had an interesting bit where blood of the creature taken from the penguin's body, I believe it was, 
Batman discovered that it had, um, oh gosh, I should know this. I'm, I'm questioning myself, but I believe it was estrogen that he had and that they found in the blood. Um, God, I, I think it was estrogen, female hormone, estrogen, right? Um, anyway, <laughs> I should know these things. Um, so that's, that was interesting to me because further along in the series, there is a solicitation that mentions the creature is searching for its mother. Um, makes me wonder, is the, uh, child the killer right now, or is it the mother? Um, if the child is tracking the mother, then maybe the child hasn't even arrived yet. Um, no idea. I probably, I, who knows if that's even going to be clear by the end of this, but, um, it's, it's a really fun journey and it's just stunning. So kudos to Liam Sharp and Garth Ennis for, um, pulling through on this project because it's, it's excellent. Made in Korea number four is a fun little indie project. It's going to be out of six issues following this little, well, it takes place in a world where kids aren't really born anymore. And so people have robot children to keep them company. And, and this one particular one has kind of gotten into some trouble. Um, and her creator who made her uniquely, though some way we don't really know yet, is trying to kidnap her and bring her back to Korea with him. So um, there's some weird stuff going on and this has got to be um, where we were kind of learning the world up until I through issue three. I think issue four this week is going to definitely kick off a lot more um, what the problem is here and what's going to go bad. Harley Quinn number six, Stephanie Phillips has been absolutely killing it in the Harley Quinn series and everything related that she has been writing. This issue, she is joined by Laura Braga, who is the, oh gosh, she is just a stunning artist, but she's done a number of things involved with Poison Ivy in the past, so it feels very um, ac accurate. It feels very appropriate that she uh, team up with Phillips here on this Harley Quinn project, especially since... This issue is guest starring Catwoman. Super exciting. Um, obviously, I have a big infatuation with Poison Ivy, who has been having a lot of her own stuff going on through the Catwoman as well as Batman series, more or less. Um, and we're talking about it very briefly now, it would seem, in Harley Quinn. So just another reason for me to adore this Harley Quinn series. Stephanie Phillips has not made a big deal of mentioning their kind of relationship and split, which makes me only think that she is saving that for the appropriate moment and Catwoman showing up does feel rather appropriate. Additionally, in coming Catwoman issues, the Gotham City Sirens are reuniting. That means Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, as well as Catwoman. In this issue, if Catwoman is teaming up with Harley and the next couple of issues do have Poison Ivy on the cover, although I haven't read the solicitation yet, I do admit, I kind of don't want to spoil it for myself. I have to decide if I'm going to do that or not. Um, that is more likely than not that we're going to see the three of them team up together, the Sirens and Harley Quinn as well. So super excited about that. Um, I have no idea how long this series is going to be able to continue for. I'm hoping it keeps going forever because I have never, ever enjoyed a Harley Quinn series 
really, period. <laughs> uh, there's uh, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy I liked. There's some older stuff that I enjoy. You know, Cycle of Life and Death was one that I read that I enjoyed. Um, but it, it, but, but, but she's not really been, um, I'm, I'm, oh my God, I'm talking about Poison Ivy. Cycle of Life and Death was Poison Ivy. Uh, anyway, Harley Quinn, there hasn't been a lot of, um, her main stuff that I've been a fan of, but I love this. Um, every issue, I kind of expect disappointment just because that tends to be what happens with Harley Quinn issues. And all of these have just not followed through with disappointment, which is awesome because that means that they're good. <laughs> So I'm hoping that this is being um, kind of felt similarly good to other fans uh, and, and supported well by them so that we will get this to continue for a good long while through Fear State, through whatever the future state stuff that's going to be eventually catching up with us will be. Um, let's try and keep this Harley series going for as long as the last one, which was 75 issues. Can we do it with just Stephanie Phillips or... Is DC going to do the shit they always do and drop her after a few issues? Time will tell. So Universal number seven. Um, it wraps up in 10 in November. It I discovered this morning. Um, I, I, I get it. I, I wanted this to go on for a while, but I, I get why this is ending at 10 because I think this is only really sustainable as a kind of story idea to continue for a certain amount of time before it gets repetitive. Um, Sonya Versal obviously follows Sonya's from across the multiverse, which is incredibly fun. And they are coming out with a Vampirella version that is called Vampiverse. It doesn't quite roll off the tongue the way Sonya Versal does, um, but it's still pretty fun. And if you check out the Megan Hetrick covers for that, oh boy, they are something else. Um... And in, a, in a fantastic way, in the best way possible. This is by uh, Christopher Hastings and Pascal Colano. Um, and the little solicit that they have here says, Welcome to the gothic steampunk world of Yellow Sonia. We met Yellow Sonia in the previous arc of the series. You're just in time to watch YS struggle with her recently resurrected vampire hunting family. Meanwhile, Sonia Noir discovers that the roomful of mobsters she killed a second time is starting to attract a bevy of paranormal weirdness. How are these two resurrecting tales connected? Good question, because I'm not sure, but I am excited to find out. Yellow Sonia was a really cool character, while Sonia Noir was a little bit more boring in issue six. Um, Sonia, Yellow Sonia, I have no doubt, especially with that whole thing about recently resurrected vampire hunting family. Uh, it sounds a lot more fun, so hoping for an uptick on Sonia Versal this week. Black Widow number 10 continues to be by Kelly Thompson and Elena Casagrande, who is one of my top five interior artists, I think, of all time at this point. Um, this is Legacy issue 50 for the Black Widow. Um, it's a fair amount of stuff going on. She's got a new lackey. She's back with Yelena as a, you know, sister partner figure. And also, uh, Naranya, uh, is, or not Naranya, Aranya, uh, Anya Corazon is also back, uh, working with them. So it's a really cool group of women working together. Um, but it's moving really, really slowly right now. Um, so hopefully it picks up this week. Thor number 16. I was gonna start this by saying this is probably the last issue of Thor that I'll be reading, but then I looked at the issues that are coming later in the year and I saw Throg. So, 
Maybe I'll stick around to see what happens with Throg. Um, the Donny Cates Thor has been incredibly disappointing. I don't think there are many people who would disagree with me on that. Um, part of the problem, um, admittedly by Donny Cates himself, is that he didn't want to write this. It was something that Marvel came up to him and was like, hey, you should write Thor for us because Jason Aaron's dipping out on Thor. You should do it. And he was like, uh, I didn't really have any plans to do that, but okay. And then, of course, Jason Aaron having pretty much designed the Thor that we know in the comics in the modern age, um, I suppose he, he says that he got... Um, you don't want to overstep and things like that. I would counter argue that there is a lot of Thor mythology and things that you could do without having to stick with, you know, his top 10 recurring characters of the past or whatever. But, um, I don't know. Creativity is hard for some people. <laughs> uh, that sounded really terrible and mean. I'm sorry. I'm not really that sorry. Um, so Thor, yeah, we'll, we'll see how this stuff goes. I guess this issue was, is going to be Odin versus Thor. Um, and then, uh, yeah, but how is Donny Cates going to say he doesn't want to step on Jason Aaron's toes and then immediately come in and break up Thor and Freya, which was literally the last thing that Jason Aaron did with, with fucking Thor was he made Odin and Freya, uh, like finally go off together as a couple to like renew their marriage. And then the first time you see them in Donny Cates Thor, they're broken up. They've split. What? How do you say you don't want to step on people's toes when that's... Whatever. I... Okay. <laughs> he could have done better with Thor. I don't think there's any arguing with that. Donny Cates could have done better with this Thor series. Uh, I have die number 19 on the list because it's phenomenal. Uh, my husband and I read Die uh, as collected volumes. So we have three of them and there's going to be a fourth or a fifth. I'm not entirely sure if it's four or five. Um, but... It's going to end in issue 20 uh, because, it, you know, it's it's a D&D based and the, your traditional D&D die is thought of as your 20-sided die. Uh, it is written by Kieran Gillen, who, if you are a reader of comics and have not come across that name, I highly suggest you Google it and read what it's written, what, they, what he's written. Um, and Stephanie Hans is the artist. She is just one of a kind and does a fantastic job of drawing um, incredible emotions. So if you're a fan of D&D, &D, high fantasy, or even ridiculous science fiction, um, definitely check out Die. Uh, you will not regret it. And the, the issue 19 that's coming out this week, the variant cover is by Jenny Frizen. So I will definitely be picking that one up. Um, as one of my few single die issues that I actually will have aside from the collected ones. Finally, to wrap up the poll list, we have Vampirella number 23. This is coming in on the end of Christopher Priest and Ergun Gundes's, uh, I'm sorry, that was definitely not how you pronounce that, their 25-issue Vampirella run that is celebrating her 50th anniversary. Um, I can't help but wonder if it was always meant to be 25 or if there was going to be more or less or what, just because it's been a lot of different things happening in these 25 issues um, that are very up and down in terms of, I would argue, quality as well as understandability. <laughs> Understandableness? Under whatever. Um, 
So I'm, I'm just very curious on if this was always their plan for this Vampirella series. Um, the one line from the solicitation that I felt like is really important or at all relevant says, Having finally returned to Earth from her interstellar adventure, Vampirella rescues a child from certain death while unwittingly giving life to the greatest evil the world has ever seen. Hell if I know what that means, but I'm sure it's going to be fun, and issue 25 apparently has a wedding. Hopefully it's not weird and creepy and misogynistic and rapey, but this is Vampirella, so we will see, I guess. <laughs> I also need to stop here. Um, I credit Sam Raimi as the director. It's John Watts as the director here. Sam Raimi's doing Multiverse of Madness. It's so easy to get confused. Okay. Alrighty then, let's talk about Spider-Man No Way Home. The first teaser trailer for No Way Home did come out yesterday on the 23rd, which was Monday, which is why I did not put the podcast up yesterday. I was waiting to see if the rumors that that trailer would come out yesterday would be true, and they were. Um, there have been several instances of the same rumors uh, throughout the past couple of months, and I've never taken any of them as possibly at all being a thing that would come to fruition, and that is because they were really just pulling it out of their butts. Um, whereas this time, not only did they just accidentally have some kid with a cell phone record a partially completed version of the trailer from several months ago and post it online for quite a few people to see before they had a chance to take it down, there was also some conventions and things, some comic cons that were happening over the weekend through Monday, so the timing really works out in its favor. So I decided to take the chance at waiting for the trailer to come out and come out it did. Now this is Sam Raimi's first MCU film for the actual Marvel Cinematic Universe. He did do the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man trilogy which has a lot of mixed reviews really really broadly across the board. Um... I think pretty universally the second one is seen as the better of the three um so but but, but but there are still a great deal of characters and things that he had established in those movies and teased in those movies if nothing else so um from the moment that we discovered this was a sam raimi movie there was gonna be a lot of um <laughs> a lot of a lot of guest stars, we'll say. Um, and this trailer did reveal that some of the honestly crazier theories about the cast and plot are going to end up being true. And it also shows uh, a little bit of the comics inspiration that they are pulling from for this movie. The trailer starts with Peter and MJ on the roof, presumably of his school. Um, talking about an article where it claims that he can basically put women under his spell to love him, which is, we know that it's not true, um, but something that that made me think of immediately was Jessica Drew, who is Spider-Woman. She does have those powers where she can kind of put men under a pheromone spell, uh, specifically just men. So uh, while we don't have any reason to think that Spider-Woman is going to appear in this movie... I highly doubt that was a tease for her. It was just a little funny line. Um, we are going to be seeing her in Spider-Verse 2, voiced by Issa Rae, which is pretty awesome. Um, 
some people are still guessing that we could possibly see her in No Way Home, but I, I just don't see that, especially since Into the Spider-Verse uh, is animated. I don't see that having much crossover with this particular spider movie. Um, there are a fair amount of scenes in the trailer of Peter and MJ flying through the air um, together, which is clearly right right after, if not just continuing off from the end of the previous Spider-Man movie, Far From Home, which basically, if you were going to recall, it basically ends with J. Jonah Jameson revealing who Spider-Man is, Peter Parker, and that he killed Quentin Beck, who was, from everybody's point of view, the hero at that point. Um, so we see in the same sequence of events, it seems that Peter and MJ are swarmed by a big crowd of just people in New York, as soon as everybody uh, kind of figures out that he's standing there. It looks like this initial sequence after that big reveal is going to end on top of the Brooklyn Bridge, where Peter and MJ are cornered by helicopters. Uh, presumably the next scene will be what we saw in the trailer as Peter in the police precinct handcuffed to a table. I thought his shirt was pretty funny. It says the physics are theoretical, but the fun is real. I, I I get I thought it was funny okay um, the guy interrogating him uh, I feel like should be pointed out he has a DODC on his jacket which stands for Department of Damage Control uh, which we have encountered before in the MCU they are the former Shield operation which is now Stark Industries uh, slash government project that is meant to tackle uh, the superhero fight cleanup stuff that will be initiated every time that there is a mess in New York, basically. Um, and this was also brought into Spider-Man Homecoming a fair amount because that was what Vulture, I believe his company was contract working for the DODC. Um, and that was really where a lot of that plot for him getting his parts and whatnot came from. Uh, the police, you know, Peter in the police precinct in the trailer, he tries to explain what happened. However, the police are correct. Although the drones did kill Beck, Peter still owns the drones. They show him a big file of evidence, which I have no doubt actually has a buttload of stuff in it at this point. Probably his entire life. Um, we get a voiceover of MJ. She asks Peter if he's relieved now that the world knows that knows what his secret is and he doesn't have to hide or lie to anyone anymore. However, the footage at that moment shows the two of them and their friends arriving at school to see hordes of people with signs protesting and the two of them look pretty miserable. In addition, there is another clip of Peter walking through the hallway at his school and literally every kid flips up their phone to film him walking by. We see Aunt May and Ned also in their own interrogation chambers, booths, tables, whatever. Um, and then Peter sees a vampire light, which my brain immediately went to Morbius. Morpheus. Morbius. Yeah, Morbius. I get them mixed up. Um, <laughs> and I was wrong. It's because they look like Doctor Strange, which is, okay, it's funny. Uh, and it takes us to 177A Bleecker Street, which is, of course, the Sanctum Sanctorum. When Peter arrives at the Sanctum, for some reason, it is covered in snow on the inside. Stephen is wearing basically normal clothes with a big snow jacket, but he has the cape of levitation still on top, which makes it look pretty funny. 
Uh, there's some jokes about what to call him. Ha ha ha. Okay, great. Um, Wong bursts in or is there, I guess, and warns Strange not to cast whatever spell they're discussing. Um, the last time we saw Wong was the Shang-Chi trailer. So is he heading off to go find Abomination in Shang-Chi? I don't know. It may not even be an important part of the plot, but it's fun to think about. Uh, and obviously, no matter what Strange says to Wong, of course he's going to do it. He's got an ego the size of Mars. That is something that they did a really good job of taking from the comics to the movies. Um, he and Peter go to like a basement or something um, and they he kind of initiates the spell. He says the entire world is about to forget that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. But then Peter kind of hesitates. He says, wait... And he starts realizing that he wants some of the people in his life to remember. Um, and it probably ends up being that Peter distracts him. Distracts Strange. Um, that is how he messes the spell up. Um, and there's kind of a clip of things going all wacky, crazy, spacey. Um, as somebody who has read a lot of older Doctor Strange comics, um, that looked a lot, like, uncannily, like when Strange, back in the 70s, the whole universe ended aside from him, and he just rewrote the entire universe. And I think that was also at the time that he actually made his name Strange. It wasn't Strange before that. Um, it was some convoluted BS like that, but it looked a lot like that. What, what they showed in the trailer looked a lot like how they kind of described that in the comics. On screen, it's basically everything like dissolves around them except for Peter and Strange and then it gets all spacey wacy and then goes back to normal. Um, there's a lot of um, Strange telling Peter that the spell messed up, has to do with him living multiple lives and not being true to himself, whatever. A uh, really cool bit of Strange punching Peter into the astral plane, just like how the Ancient One did to Hulk slash Bruce Banner, which was awesome. Uh, he and Peter go falling around New York, presumably, um, after that. It's kind of a, it's, it's, I'm not really sure how that sequence of events happens because we get the clips of, um, the spell kind of going wonky, so to say, or so we think, um, and then you get them arguing outside the building and he's in his Spider-Man suit at that point. And he's also holding this like mother box looking, um, thing that has a similar intricate pattern to the eye of Agamotto. Um, so that's definitely going to be relevant to whatever it is that's going on. He's trying to take this thing from Strange. Strange doesn't want him to. He's warning him not to. Uh, and then all this wonky stuff happens in New York. Is that before or after he punches him into the astral plane? I'm going to guess before. And then they go back to the sanctum and Peter takes this box with him. And he punches him into the astral plane at that point. That's my guess. Um, but of course, all of this stuff has definitely been flip-flopped to confuse us. Um, to make us think that things are happening that aren't happening and yada yada yada. So um, I like that I am so confused by everything. <laughs> Anyway, um, there's a couple of shots that kind of, through the end of this trailer, are, are kind of like random points throughout the movie. Uh, one is Peter in the black Spider-Man suit that we've already seen marketing about. He's got no mask on. He's running through what looks like a cafeteria of some kind, looking for somebody off screen. Um, a dude there points to screen left and Peter takes off in that direction. 
there was somebody online who noted that the, or rather multiple people, I should say, noted that the Hot Toys version of the suit, the black and gold suit he's going to be wearing, includes a uh, gauntlet of sorts over the left arm, which again is a similar design of this strange eye of Agamotto um, that we assume can shoot some of the fancy blue webbing um, that has to do with Strange's magic somehow. So um, at that point in the trailer, they either edited that off of his arm or that has not been something that he has made yet. And assuming that that mother box looking thing that he takes from Strange becomes that arm gauntlet thing, um, I guess Strange loses the battle of, no, you're not taking that from the Sanctum. Um, or something like that, if that's at all what I'm- if that's at all right with the timeline of what's going on in the movie. Who knows? Uh, there are other clips of, um, we get Tom Holland, Spider-Man in the iron suit on the roof, uh, some kind of car park. Um, there is a very brief clip of Peter in a suit, um, where something behind him hits, like, a force field and he's startled and he turns around. Can't tell what the thing that hits the force field is, but, um, it looks like some kind of creature. It does not look like a person. Uh, there is also Happy, who looks like he just got into a bit of a car accident, and there are dudes with guns aiming their sniper rifle thingies at him. Uh, there's another bit of a very short clip of the black suit, where Spider-Man is fighting Electro, um, or rather what we assume is Electro, because it is like intense electricity and we know that he's going to be in this. There is a definitely Willem Dafoe Green Goblin laugh, which is teamed up with the um, the goblin pumpkin ball thing that is the green and orange, and it actually matches the designs that were in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie where uh, Willem Dafoe was Green Goblin, so pretty much confirms that he's going to be in this. And then we get this voiceover of Doctor Strange sounding very evil, saying, be careful what you wish for, Parker. Um, and that kind of makes me think of a clip in the trailer that I didn't already discuss here where it's Peter running along a train in the desert, it looks like, the Grand Canyon possibly, um, and Strange seems to be chasing him, maybe? Um, and doing magics to slow him down unsure entirely if that's what's happening, but it is also notable that the strange we see in that clip is wearing a very different outfit than the one that we see at the Sanctum um, once he's in his full Doctor Strange outfit and punches Peter into the astral plane. I will never get tired of saying that. Um, so my theory here is that through his interaction with the multiverse, Peter comes into contact with an evil version of Doctor Strange. His clothes being green in that clip really makes me think maybe this was a Strange who kind of fell to um, what Mordu was saying. If you remember the MCU, Mordu believed that there were too many wizards, um, too many magicians. So he was out to like kill all the magicians. Um, possibly that is because of his clothing, that is the strange that we're seeing. He has a similar, um, has a similar 
I don't know, life goal or whatever. So that's just a quick theory there um, about something we might encounter. We also see Peter again in that same suit from earlier talking to some lady in a car. And finally, we get Doc Ock's legs coming out of an interstate wreckage. He says, hello, Peter. And we see a clip of Peter flipping into the iron suit. I would bet money that those, are, those clips are not actually connected when we see the movie. Peter, Peter turning into the iron suit and uh, Doc Ock saying, hello, Peter. Um, but it was really cool to see him here. Um, that is, of course, let me see. No, 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 no. I guess I don't have his name here. Um, it was the actor who played him in, in Spider-Man. I thought I had the name here. I guess I, I guess I took it out for some reason. Um, but he is there and it looks like they definitely got him to be a little bit more fit for the MCU stuff. So um, I am pretty... Oh, Alfred Molina. There we go. Um, Alfred Molina is his name. Uh, so that's pretty... Um, that's pretty exciting. Um, however... There was something that was pointed out that I that I'm thinking about now. Um, the Doc Ock that we saw in Spider-Man Two apparently died at the end of the movie, if you recall. Um, so this version either survived somehow. Um, uh, it could be the Raimi Octavius, or it could be another Octavius from the multiverse that happens to look like Alfred Molina the same way as that one. Um, we don't know if he survived or if this is a different guy. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see that in further trailers or rather in the movie. Um, as I said before, oh God, hit the microphone. As I said before, um, I definitely think the audio and visuals are mixed up to confuse us through this whole trailer. So it's entirely true, entirely possible whether that... Um, all of this is just pure speculation that will not at all be what happens in the movie. Um, but as for what we're seeing things happen in from the, from the comics, um, this seems to be mostly drawing inspiration from the one more day storyline, um, which a lot of people got really equally excited and nervous about when we kind of saw this trailer. Um, additionally, the bits of the fallout from Civil War in the original Civil War in the comics, uh, which included Peter revealing his secret identity to the world over TV as a sign of support for the Superhuman Registration Act, which you may remember from the MCU. That was something that they did bring over and include in the MCU. Um, once his identity is open and free, Aunt May ends up getting shot by a kingpin who is hired by, or sorry, shot by an assassin who is hired by kingpin. Woof, I got that backwards. Um, and so then they decide they have to do something about this, about his identity. Um, basically, what's funny about that, uh, Kingpin is also rumored to be in here, as well as Matt Murdock, which we'll get to that another in, in a bit in a second. Woo, words. Um, in One More Day, the we see Peter and Mary Jane's marriage end, which it happens because uh, they made a deal with Mephisto, who is the devil, to save Aunt May's life after she is shot by that assassin. And the deal was to end their marriage. Um, 
<laughs> Obviously, Peter and MJ aren't married. There's nothing like that in, in the movies right now, so it's not going to be exact, and we haven't seen Mephisto yet. If I had to guess, we're probably not going to see Mephisto into until Multiverse of Madness. Um, we didn't see him in WandaVision. I feel like that would have made even more sense to have seen him there than here. Um, so unless they do decide to just like pull a full on, we're going to make it as one more day as possible. We're probably not going to see Mephisto in this. Um, so after one more day, there was the one moment in time storyline, which was a Joe Casada storyline from 2010, uh, which was set after one more day, which is where Peter and Dr. Strange ask for assistance. Um, in um, getting the the memory spell to take away his identity, right? Um, so Strange ends up working with Iron Man and uh, Reed Richards, who is, of course, Mr. Fantastic of the Fantastic Four. Um, and they they make the the whole deal of okay, we'll we'll, we'll team up all our technology and magic, and we'll we'll do it for you, Peter. Um, but Peter pulled MJ into the spell at the last minute, so it becomes a big Marvel tragedy up until recently um, that she remembers their whole relationship and everything and his secret identity, but they cannot be together because of that deal with Mephisto. So it ends up being this very sad thing. Recently, <laughs> that's actually kind of a good point, recently they did do that in um, the past couple of years in Doctor Strange, they had him do that with Clea, which I will not even go into how stupid that is. Um, but that's just something they they seem to have a, a, a hard on for this whole one more day thing they keep doing. So um, that is more or less the comic inspiration as we've seen so far with this movie. Um, but as far as, as the MCU has shown, Peter at this point is still registered um, with the Sokovia Accords, which is the Superhero Registration Act, basically. Um, there is also speculation, I think I mentioned earlier, that No Way Home is going to bring Charlie Cox's Matt Murdock into the MCU um, with his law firm defending Peter in court, and that law firm is, of course, Nelson and Murdock, uh, avocados at law. <laughs> um, and so I was kind of thinking about that, Man, if they can bring back the Raimi villains and, you know, probably the other Spider-Men too, they can definitely bring in some of the Netflix MCU characters very easily. That cannot possibly be difficult if you're going as far as to bring these old guys back. Um, and to add on to that, there are still rumors that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are going to be reprising their roles as Spider-Men. Um, uh, it's probably going to happen. I know I've been a really big proponent in not wanting that. I don't really want that to happen, but it's probably going to happen. Um, there's been some photos that look pretty solid as set photos of the two of them in their spider suits together. Um, I will be fine if that ends up being not true, but it does seem to be the case at this point, so I'm not going to try and lie to myself. Uh, but they're probably going to show up in this for at least a minute. Um, on top of that... If they're showing up, why the hell can't we get Miles Morales to show up, huh? That's, I feel like, an, a more important question. Because Miles is the future of the MCU, right? Not Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. They're the past. Give me some Miles up in this bitch. Why can't we do Miles? <laughs> um, I did see 
we're getting we're getting closer to the end here don't worry i did see some interesting theories that i do not agree with um one was that peter is going to have to choose between fleeing his world to recover his old life on a new one or accepting the responsibility to protect his own world i i think that's dumb that's a stupid question I don't think he would ever just abandon this one or even consider doing that. He's not going to be going off seeing endless, better, idealized universes. He's going to be dragged through their bullshit while still dealing with his own bullshit. There's no saving grace land for him to flee to. It's all bad. <laughs> He's just going to have to... I don't, I don't think that idea is even going to cross his mind of, let me find an ideal world and just run there. I, I don't think that's ever going to cross his mind. Um, another theory that I really enjoy is that Doctor Strange is going to be basically, it's a wonderful lifing him, if you, if you can understand what that means, um, and basically, um, showing him a path, uh, based off of the consequences of his actions, and then it all ends up being easily reversible. Not sure, um if that would be something that they would actually do in the MCU, but I would really enjoy that if they did. Uh, some of the other characters that we know for sure are going to be in this, Ned Leeds, played by Jacob Batalon, Marissa Tomei's Aunt May Parker, Tony Revolori's Flash Thompson, who there are rumors that he is actually going to be blonde in this movie, which I think would be pretty funny, bleaching his hair. John Fro John John Favreau is back as Happy Hogan. J.K. Simmons has returned once again as J. Jonah Jameson. And may I ask, was he pulled in from the weird multiversal shit, or was he already there in in the world of the MCU? I don't know. Uh, we also have J.B. Smoove as Mr. Dell and Hannibal Barres as Coach Wilson. Um, the rumors, we have more or less confirmed that Jamie Foxx is going to be back as Electro, more or less confirmed Willem Dafoe as Green Goblin, um, and then of course we have now confirmed that, uh, oh gosh, Andrew Molina, right, is, uh, Molina, whatever it is, is going to be playing Doc Ogg. I can't find it in my notes again. Um, there are other rumors that include, of course, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. There's also rumors of Kirsten Dunst as Mary Jane, Emma Stone as Gwen Stacy, uh, of course, Charlie Cox as Matt Murdock, and Michael Keaton as Adrian Toomes, um, kind of rounding out some of the, um, Secret Six. Secret Six, that's not right. The Sinister Six. Secret Six is a different thing. It's a vampy verse thing. Oh my god. Um, but in any case, um, what this all comes down to, now that we've gone on about this for almost half an hour, uh, what this all comes down to with this whole trailer and everything, here's my thought. If this is how hard they're gonna go for No Way Home... How big will things be for Multiverse of Madness? It's ultimately being kicked off with this movie, as far as I can tell. So if they're going to be, first of all, this big for this teaser trailer, the movie must be completely nuts. And Multiverse of Madness? At, like, at this point, honestly, assuming that it's just going to crescendo to Multiverse of Madness, I, I would not put it past them to add a few Foxman cameos. I'm sorry. I never thought I would say that. But they're going as far as to give us a Sam Raimi, basically, second shot at Spider-Man. 
Um, I mean, come on, a few Foxmen would not be too hard compared to that at all. Not that it would mean anything, of course. Um, I'm just saying that it would be like another universe that we get a peek in on for a moment just to see them there or he just goes through a universe where the Foxmen are there. And then, you know, maybe down the line, once the X-Men show up in the MCU, he'll recognize them or something. I don't know. But I don't think it's actually too far out there to to assume we might see a, a Foxman. Um, I would be Multiverse of Madness is where we would see them. But um, I, I, I'm pretty excited. In any case, that wraps up this week's episode of Sensational Street Geek live from Yancey Street. As always, thank you for listening to the podcast for whatever amount of time you were able to. Um, I will be back for the next podcast episode coming this Friday, the 27th of August. I will be focusing on the comic book pick list for the week, things that I find to be good and worthy of discussion from this week's pull list and other releases of comic books. We'll also be discussing uh, issue, issue, <laughs> episode, uh, three of What If, which is coming out tomorrow, as well as episode five of Titans. And I'm going to search What If episode three really quickly to get that episode title. Um, looks like it's a Spider-Man one. Nick Fury and Black Widow. It's going to have Nick Fury and Black, I'm pretty sure it's a Spider-Man one. Uh, what if something to do with Spider-Man? <laughs> Um, God, why is there no title for that? That's so interesting. It's probably out there and I just can't find it. Um, okay, yeah, it's just gonna be whatever. It's just gonna be. We'll talk about what if and Titans. And, uh, you know, whatever other BS happens in the news between now and then. There's always something. Oh gosh. Um, in the meantime, um, it's the last weekish of August, so um, stay hydrated. And it was a full moon last night, so stay sane as much as you as much as you're able. Um, so have a good week, and um, let me know your like theories about shit, just in general. I'm curious. Peace.